right? So I'm glad for one person to be in church. Amen. But we thank God for those that are in-house as well as those that are joining us online. Um, as we prepare to get started as far as tonight's service is concerned, just want to let you all know that um, uh, you'll be on camera. We want you to keep your mask above your nose. We're still dealing with COVID. Uh, listen to our ushers about seating. Um, in the moment, uh, during the offertory time, we will, of course, give instructions as far as how we will receive the uh, Lord's offering on tonight. We're looking forward to the Lord blessing us with a tremendous worship experience on this evening. Amen. Amen. So listen, I'm thankful for those that are here and for those that are watching us online. We praise God for your presence. All right. So we'll be starting in about one minute. Come on, let's give the Lord the praise he so richly and rightfully deserved. We're going to go ahead and get started at this time. We thank God for all of those that are in route as well as those that are in the house. And we don't take this moment for granted. For those that are joining us online, I want to wave at you as well as our Zoom congregation. We thank God for your presence. I want to, as far as our gathering is concerned, for those who are watching us this evening, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or engaging online with us live in our chat room on our church website, welcome to St. Paul Online. Our digital ministers and social media influencers are ready to engage you. So we want you to do this. If you would, if you're watching us on Facebook, share to your personal timeline without starting a separate watch party. We want to make sure you stay in the same chat stream and tag people you want to invite to check out this post. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel and then text the link of this worship service to your personal network. And if you're in the chat room on our church website, click on the invite button in the chat window. Share this experience with others who are coming to join us. Amen. 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 And also do me this favor. If you're watching us virtually, just Tell us where you're watching us from. We want to take wonderful delight as far as that is concerned. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and put our hands together. Let's give the Lord the praise he so richly, rightfully deserved as uh, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson comes to lead us in worship. Go ahead and keep putting those hands together. Keep putting those hands together all over this place. Is there anybody out there that just came to be revived? Huh? Don't fool me now. I said, is there anybody out here who just came to be revived tonight? Somebody said, I've been dealing with some things and I'm not talking about this week. I'm not talking about this month. I'm talking about for the last year since the last revival. And I've been waiting on this time for God to revive me again. So if you would stand on your feet and give God some praise all over this place. I believe that the God that we serve deserves our best. Sometimes I just need to plug into the God that I serve to be revived. 
Amen, amen, amen. I call to worship tonight comes from Psalms 95 and it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that God is the God who is able, even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of the things that you may face, that the God that we serve is still a God who's able? Revive us tonight, God. Join us in our opening hymn, Lift Him Up.
Somebody said, I just came out here tonight in the rain just to lift the Savior up. Thank you, God, for another day. Our scripture lesson comes from Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning at the fourth through the seventh verse. And it reads, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Let us turn our eyes towards heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now. God, we are coming before you, first of all, God, just to say thank you. Thank you for another opportunity to try to get this thing right. But God, right now, in this place, God, we are not inviting you to come because we know that you're already here. And because you're already here right now, God, fill this place with your spirit, God. Allow the train of your glory to fill this house today. But we also know that you're a God who is able to even stretch in Wi-Fi. So even in the spaces right now on the digital platforms, God, allow your presence to be felt. God, we just want to say thank you, God, for another night of revival. Revive us tonight, God, for somebody has come out to this place, God, seeking to be revived. And God, we know that you're still a God who is able to renew us. So fill us tonight, God, in this place. It's in your son's name that we do pray and give thanks. And all the saints said, amen. 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 You may be seated.
every hand I feel like going, going on I feel like pressing my way Yes, you can. 
can make it. give the Lord the praise he so richly and rightfully deserves. He is the one that gives us the power and the strength to press on when we feel like giving up. Let me do a church check right now. Anybody in the house ever felt like giving up but somewhere you got the fire and the stamina to keep on keeping on? Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate our male ensemble. Let's give God praise for them tonight. Amen. Amen. I want to celebrate and I want to thank all of those who have pressed their way through the weather to come uh, in physical space as well as those that are joining us online as far as our digital space. We thank God for your presence tonight. And we have been blessed over the last two days with some of the most powerful preaching in this country. And uh, I am certainly looking forward to the Lord doing uh, even more on tonight as we uh, come on the second night of these revival services. As we move forward, let me just impress upon you uh, a couple of things. We want to, of course, remind you of the fact that um, we have two or more nights of revival services tonight and tomorrow night. And, of course, we thank God for your presence on this evening. I also just want to mention and uh, reiterate that we are still dealing with COVID. And so uh, in this endemic right now, we want to impress upon you, please, ma'am, please, sir, do whatever you can as far as keeping yourself safe and secure. Wear your mask. Get vaccinated. Get the booster. I want to see you live. Amen. Amen. I had shared, and uh, this is not anything that is private, Dr. Freddie Clark was supposed to be with us on uh, Sunday. He could not come because his wife had to um, go to the hospital. They had to put her in the hospital. And then right after that, he came down with COVID. And so uh, he said, the Lord worked things out in strange ways. And I said, yes, he does. And so uh, talk with him today. He is on the men, but the vaccinations will not keep you from getting COVID, but it will keep you from dying from COVID. Amen, somebody. So I want to impress upon you, please, ma'am, please, sir, make consideration to become vaccinated. As we move forward in this revival service, I want to um, ask that if you would, as we prepare to receive the Lord's offering, uh, make preparations to give at this time, and we're going to get our preacher for the night up uh, as soon as possible. But as you make preparations to give tonight, there are several ways that you can give here at the St. Paul Church. The first one is, of course, by mailing uh, your money order or check to the church at 1401 Allen, uh, Charlotte, 28205, or you can drop off cash, check, or money order here at the church. Call the church office first to make, some, make sure someone is here at 704-334-5309. The other way that you could give is through our church website, ACS or Church Life. You can also give through the app called Givelify. And if you don't have that app on your smart device, download that app from your app store, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give 
through Givelify. So as we prepare to give the Lord's offering tonight, uh, for those that have a physical offering on the outer aisles, there's a basket right beside your pew. And if you would, uh, at the appropriate time when we, uh, after the prayer, you can take that basket, pass it down, and our account team will receive the Lord's offering. Amen? Amen. I'm giving $100 on tonight, and anyone that uh, feel led to join me, you're more than welcome to do that. But give whatever you feel led to do from a position of knowing that God has blessed you beyond measure. We don't want you to give out of guilt. We want you to give out of thankfulness and generosity. So if you're giving as far as uh, digital or if you're giving as far as physical, if you will take your offering, place it in your right hand, lift to the heaven, want to give God what's right, not what's left. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come on this evening to thank you for the wonderful opportunity to partner with you through the act of giving. And as we come, we come not giving grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully because we are told you love the cheerful giver. We know if we sow much, we shall reap much. We sow little, we shall reap little. If we sow nothing, we shall reap nothing. So God, we come right now sowing in the good soil here at the St. Paul Church knowing that you will bless us beyond our wildest imagination. Take these fruits right now and do as you please. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do me a favor, if you're given a physical offering basket on the outer aisle, if you would look beside your pew, take that basket, and if you would pass it down, amen. And we will receive the Lord's offering as far as our account team is concerned. Amen. 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 I want to also, before I introduce our preacher for tonight, uh, want to ask uh, all the uh, ministers of the gospel that are in the house, that are in the congregation, would you please stand? I just want to thank you all for taking time out of your busy schedule to come. God bless you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Um, it is good when preachers come and support preachers, and we are certainly delighted for each and every one of you who've made it out here on this rainy Tuesday night, as well as to uh, our other disciples and guests who have come from near and far to be part of this gathering. And we have a plethora of folks that are watching us online, and I just want to give a shout out to you all on our Zoom congregation, as well as on Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Well, it is preaching time, and we have a preacher in the house. He's no stranger to St. Paul. Uh, he introduced, reintroduced himself uh, in a sterling fashion on a Sunday morning. And of course, he's here to bless us with the second night of our revival services. He is none other than my friend and my brother beloved, the Reverend Dr. William H. Curtis, the pastor of the Mount Ararat Baptist Church. God had allowed, has allowed him to celebrate 25 years of pastoral ministry and excellence. And let's give God praise for that. Amen. He's going to come in his own way and share with us what the Lord has laid on his heart. And uh, just like on last night, uh, I look forward with tiptoe anticipation on what the Lord is going to do through my friend and my brother. Pray for him. Pray with him. That the Lord will use him in a mighty and a magnificent way as far as this preaching moment is concerned on this evening. Amen? Amen. If you're ready to hear a word from the Lord, give God praise for that. Amen. And give God praise as our brothers come and bless us with the Simonic Selection.
first family to those who assist him in ministry responsibilities and stewardship here at the St. Paul Church to those who uh, make up the leadership and the discipleship of this wonderful and powerful congregation. I am grateful for uh, the privilege and the opportunity to stand and to declare the word of God and to be a part of this revival to my tag team partner, our preaching preacher of last night, the Reverend Dr. Jerry Carter. I was all day ruminating about God being silent about my sin and singing about my redemption. He is without question one of my favorite preachers and one of those who is most impactful in my life and I am honored to share this space with him. To so many pastoral friends and colleagues who share with us tonight, the illustrious president of Clinton College, the Reverend Dr. Lester McCorn, who is friend and brother, and um, he is uh, kin for me because we are fellow Baltimoreans. Amen. That was a weak amen there. Uh, I didn't say we were fellow Raven fans. I said we're fellow Baltimoreans. I, I'm a... I'm a diehard Steelers fan. Got, got more response for that, right? Uh, and I have a simple explanation for that. My origin may be Baltimore, but when I was there and was called to my first church and subsequently to my second, the Ravens came to Baltimore 13 years after I was gone, so I know nothing about them. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are they, right? And, and if I was to be hometown loyal, it would have been to the Colts, and they weren't loyal to us. They got up and packed up into 18-wheelers and moved out in the middle of the night and left us for Indianapolis, so I have no loyalty to them either. And in Pittsburgh, the Steelers are a religion. It, it's, it's almost like a cult. I tell my congregation all, all the time, there's only one church larger than ours. It meets at Heinz Field on Sunday at 104, and it collects tithes at the gate. 
So I'm honored to see uh, Dr. McCorn and to Dr. Ralph McCormick, who shares with us as pastor in this city. I'm honored uh, to be in his presence as well. And then help me thank God for these brothers who have ushered us into the presence of God and to these cadre of musicians who serve us. Uh, I was watching the weather forecast, and it indicated that we might have this rain until about 2 o'clock in the morning. And so I lengthened my sermon to make sure we stay in here tonight until the rain has stopped. Ushers, lock the doors. Listen to these words that come to us tonight from Acts chapter 11. I want to read in your hearing verses 19 through 26. Acts chapter 11. Verses 19 through 26, the New International Version captures the word of God this way. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then... Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And I want to preach as the Spirit of the Lord show God from the subject, I am a Christian. Everybody say it with me. I am a Christian. One more time. I am a Christian. The elders in Jerusalem have accepted the need to share the gospel with who Luke says are Greeks. They've targeted specifically Antioch to be evangelized. They do so by commissioning Barnabas to lead the ministry effort there. Understand that Barnabas is a nickname that the apostles give to him because of his willingness to serve. The encouragement he consistently leaks. He brings so many people to the Lord that he, in my estimation, will run parallel in effectiveness almost to Paul in ministry impact. He starts out singularly selected for the mission in Antioch, but he very wisely starts thinking about who might help him to achieve his ministry goals there. And the very first thing he does, we are told, is to run to Tarsus to enlist the ministry partnership of Saul, or Paul, as we will come to know him. Everybody's heard about Saul. They've been impacted by and inspired by his ministry. They've been encouraged by his testimony, how he is transformed. Because of his amazing conversion to the faith, having been such a thorn in the flesh to the apostles' ministry pursuits. And we're told that for an entire year, Barnabas and Saul teach disciples in Antioch about Jesus. The miracle of his life, the 
peculiar message that he preached, the revelation he shares about the kingdom of God, the intentional ministry he extends, the pastoral care method he offers, the model of ministry he examples. And after that year, there must have been such a marked difference in the language, such a marked difference in the lifestyle of those who were blessed to live with and under their teaching. There had to have been a distinguishable difference in the way they interacted with people in the community. It had to be evident among people that knew them a year earlier and stretching back and how impacted they have become by the teaching of Barnabas and Saul about Jesus. It had to be so distinguishable that as people were talking, it motivated people who were not following Jesus to label these disciples. And for the first time in scripture, they are called Christians. Now, if you're like me, that makes you wonder what perhaps was taught to them by Barnabas and Saul. What was it that made them name them Christians? How did that emerge from all the descriptors that were perhaps swirling among the conversations people are having regarding these new disciples impacted by the ministry that has been extended to them for an entire year? What was the evidence they displayed or revealed that confirmed that they were best to be described as Christians? What was used to measure that? And the question it sparked in me, preachers, larger than these for the purposes of our sermonic exchange tonight is this. Why was it important to be canonized in scripture? What made Luke decide that it was important that later generations would know the significance of when the Lord's disciples were first called Christians? It appears to me that it had to be important to those who first spoke it that it must by necessity be important to us now. And I guess the reason is because labels matter, don't they? Definitions morph and change over time. And with that sometimes comes, unfortunately, a far drift from its origin or its beginning. And I suspect that drift has created definitions for what a Christian is that are an extreme distance from what it meant to those describing these disciples ministered to for an entire year by Barnabas and Saul. Can I suggest to us tonight that the definition of Christian today in this culture is dangerously different? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I am these days feeling compelled by both my calling and my conviction that you and I ought to enter the debate, or as scripture says, we ought to contend for the faith that was delivered to us rather than to allow the continual drift we are experiencing in the culture. Our social sphere and our cultural battles have created measurements that may not be even closely aligned to Acts chapter 11 when these disciples were first called Christians. If that's what I am and I declare that I am, if it's what I inspire others to be and that's what I attempt to do, then I want to know what elicited its description. What made it the best way to define the difference and the distinction in the lives of those that would wear the label? 
Prior to this, those that were now called Christians were called some other things. They were called disciples. Many referred to them as brethren. Some would suggest they were just believers, those being saved. Many talked about them, describing them as people of the way. But now from Acts chapter 11 on, they are simply called Christians. And interestingly enough, they are called Christians not by their own self-description, but they are called Christians by an unbelieving public in Antioch who historically, I might add, were famed for their wit and their nicknaming skill. So this was not a flippant description. They were reputed, those in Antioch, were reputed for doing this very well. This means to them, if Christ is a proper name rather than a title, then the Christ or the Messiah gave them the frame for coining the epithet Christian. So they weren't trying to be derisory. It simply became the familiar way of talking about those who followed Jesus, particularly according to how they were taught by Barnabas and Saul. In his book, Living Faith, former President Jimmy Carter tells the story. He says a group of Christian laymen involved in missionary work approached a small village near an Amish settlement, seeking a possible convert. They confronted this Amish farmer and asked him, Brother, are you a Christian? The farmer thought for a moment and then said, If you don't mind, would you wait here for a minute? He goes in the house. He comes back out. Having written down a list of names on a tablet, he hands it to the lay evangelist and he says to him, Here is a list of people who know me best. Go talk to them and ask them if I am a Christian. The reason I lift this story tonight is because St. Paul, the power of being a Christian is the change, the behavior, the lifestyle that others describe about you. Until whatever else they have to say about you, it should be preceded by he or she is a Christian. And I'm inviting us tonight because it might be very wise just to simply for a few moments rehearse What does it really mean when I say I'm a Christian? Because can I tell you that the definitions have become so ambiguous, even for those of us who carry the tag. And for far too many around us, the label Christian has been distasteful, unwanted, derided. And I'm not being overly or excessively dramatic tonight when I say for many to be labeled as a Christian, it engenders hate. So what is a Christian tonight? What does that label mean? How is it measured? What did you expect when you ran into one? And how do you know when you're talking to one? The tension we have when holding Acts chapter 11, verse 26, right up against August 2022, is that there is little resemblance between the two. There's so many lesser, lower, lighter, ludicrous definitions afloat out there. In fact, Christianity tonight is a description of social ideology, not discipleship. To many now, to say you are a Christian is supposed to mean a certain political devotion, a certain material belief, a passive, weak human engagement. It means a lack of personal desire. It means I do not have an ambition for self-improvement. It carries an assumption of a weaker mental 
tenacity. And none of these were a part of how Antioch saw disciples so that they would label them as Christians. Christianity has become, unfortunately, a race-based spirituality. And though Jesus' ethnicity certainly did matter, it is significant, it was intentional as a reflection of God's creative imagination concerning his creation. But might I suggest tonight that Christianity is not a white man's construct. And as a result of that, don't let people with whom you engage conversation as you matriculate in the marketplace, don't let people around you make you think that the reason they're not engaged in church or carrying the tag or label Christian is because it's a white man's religion. It is not to be derided by African Americans, particularly because Jesus' life and ministry do speak to the very core liberation streams that flow in our veins. Christianity, I might add, is not a weak catch-all for those who are simply seeking security amidst life's uncertainties. It's not spirituality without demand. In fact, it's a very deliberative devotion, isn't it? So what did it mean then in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when we hear that it was right there in Antioch after a year ministry from Paul and from Barnabas, that unbelievers talk about these disciples learning from these two men and that it could best be described as Christian. While the singular distinctive will appear simple compared to the absurd, incredulous, ignorant definitions that abound these days, it was quite simple and to me deeply powerful that those that were called Christians were called that because of an unapologetic belief that Jesus is the only God, that Jesus is Savior, teacher, and model, and that we follow him because in our estimation and by our deep conviction, it is to best immolate and imitate him to ensure that our lives are lived out according to God's perfect will for our lives. These disciples that year were taught the facts, the significance of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, the extension of his spirit, gift, his present reign, and his future coming. And because Christ dominated the thought and so a part of the conversation of these disciples and because their beliefs radically changed their behavior and framed their social outlook because they believed in Jesus they carried a different hope about life and they talked about the future really different yes, sir. Yes, they had a certain specific care and concern for those around them a determined conviction to live life through the lenses of Jesus' interpretation of human lived experience, which was quite simply this, to surrender to living your life in the perfect will of God. This, brothers and sisters, as simple as it sounds, is what makes you a Christian. Now, might I add that being a Christian is not because of your perfect adherence to a human-designed code of conduct. You're not a better Christian because your skirt goes down to the ankle. You're not a better Christian because you don a tie when you come to church. You're not a great Christian because you don't wear casual clothes. You're not 
a great Christian just because you come to church and you lift the songs that the choir is singing. It's not a commitment to poverty, nor is it succumbing to the temptation or the lure of material prosperity. It is not defined by a passive response to life. You're not a good Christian because you're a doormat to everybody around you. And you're not a good Christian because you stay silent when people are cracking jokes about the church. You're not a good Christian because you let opportunities and possibilities pass you by. Why would you do it? Because you have little human personal ambitions. You're living your life just waiting on God. Nor is it a feeling of entitlement that by race or gender that all the opportunities are yours, leaving no space for anybody else. It is less about language. It really is more about love. It's not a political designation either. And being a Christian is not an us versus others construct. In fact, the war we engage for the protection of Christianity is to free it from its imprisonment to false and misguided descriptions. The war we engage in in this culture is to prevent the bombing and shelling of forces that don't even know its origin or its invite and have just been loud about its misdefinitions, irresponsible about its appropriate descriptions, its false expectations, and its misguided opinions. If I am a Christian, it is because of one reason and one reason only. It is because I believe in Jesus. His life, his message, his ministry, and his call upon my life. Do I need to repeat that again? If I am a Christian, it's because I believe in Jesus. Doesn't matter whether I'm Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Apostolic, it does not matter. It only matters that I am a Christian because I carry a conviction that Jesus is the only God. That he is, in fact, the visible expression of an invisible God. And to imitate his life, to have Jesus' surrender to God as my model for my lived human experience, believing that this is the best way to live out God's will for my life. Measure a Christian by their belief in Jesus. And encourage them, their lifelong fight, to make that belief an obvious, lived-out expression. Now, believe it or not, I'm almost done. That's the mission, and therefore, that ought to be the message. When people in Antioch saw the disciples living out the teaching they received about Jesus, they started calling them Christians. So you ask me, what does it mean after a whole year of teaching to be viewed, whether by positive affirmation or intended cultural ridicule, to be called a Christian. I think the text is teaching us that it is one, the result of a resounding repetition. A resounding repetition. Let the church say resounding repetition. What I mean by that is this, Christ was the center, the focus. His life, his teachings were the object of exploration the content of all conversation. It was the way they learned to check the value of their lives. It was by his teaching. 
the way they viewed life, and it was the way they thought about their divinely intentional space and place in life. It was the way they framed their opinions of others. It is now based on the teaching about Jesus Christ. These disciples in Antioch did not use Jesus' teachings as an extension of psychological work. They framed their psychology by their theology. And what I'm suggesting is they did not sift their theology by their psychology. They didn't live their lives to understand themselves and then to attempt to fit Jesus into it. They surrendered that year to understand Jesus and then to fit their, their psychology into their theology. Now, why am I pressing this? Because these days, theology is examined by psychology. We want to understand ourselves so that we could understand God. And it's why sermons are measured in terms of effectiveness these days by how personal they are to my own ruminations. And that's why people say, I got my word. The word was for me. And sermon titles that excite us are sermon titles like, I win. I progress. It's my season. It's my turn. It's my time. I am great. And I'm powerful. And I'm strong. And you could hear sermons from introduction through celebration about that material without ever the mention of the name Jesus. And if you frame who you are by anything other than Jesus, no matter what you label yourself as, you are dead in trespasses and sins. You are only made alive in Jesus Christ. Do I have a witness in this place? So the content was not the disciple as much as the content was about the Christ. And the more they were taught what he said and what he did and what he expects and what he extends, the more it transformed the mind of the one hearing. And it so impacted their lives that people who didn't even believe in Jesus saw the distinction from those who had spent a year learning about him and it was something about what they were taught that made those in Antioch who didn't even believe start calling them Christian. St. Paul, here's my point. Don't let, or I should say stop letting the culture change that definition. And don't let the culture change the sifter for its authenticity either. As much as this church, St. Paul, is called to meet the needs of the community, it does not mean that St. Paul should be measured by its social service agency. As much as it is to bring healing to the human mind, St. Paul cannot be measured by its therapeutical offering. As much as human interaction and fellowship is necessary for human wholeness, the true sifter for the church's existence and relevance is this. Does it proclaim 
Does it promote more than anything else the teachings of Jesus Christ? If you leave St. Paul and talk more about the food and the fun and you can never mention the Christ, then you have been at a club meeting, but you haven't been to church. And I suspect that there may be the decline in Christianity and our culture because of the absence of focus on Christ's teachings. The definition of Christian has become so convoluted that it creates confusion about who is one and who is not. But be not deceived. There is but one definition that defines you as a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that not only that he is the son of God, but do you believe that Jesus is God the son? And are you surrendering your life to be shaped by his teaching? Who am I talking to in this room tonight? It was true then and it must be true now. Christ was the center. Christ was the subject of the teaching. And that framed a thought in these disciples about governmental response to human need. The church's negligence in covering the poor. It was being centered in Jesus' teaching that makes you look at your neighbor differently. It gives you a hunger to want to discover your spiritual gifts, not what was going to happen to them or for them for personal elevation or human promotion and human attachment and life assignment. It wasn't about station station and spacing, all of which is important. I get that. All of that is exciting. But in that year that Barnabas and Saul taught the disciples about Jesus so much so that those around Antioch thought that with as much as I'm hearing these people talk about Christ, the best way to describe them is as Christians. Now, I'm a, I'm a state. I'm a state. My opinion. I think I'm old enough now to be able to articulate my convictions. The reason that I feel a burden to preach this in this particular space in human history is because I am tired of other people defining who we are with us staying silent about it and refusing to speak up until we tell people you can't keep making fun of me when I shout in church and respond to preaching and the reason you can't keep making fun of me is because you have no idea what it means for me to have Christ at the center of my life. It's the only reason I'm not coming loose at the scene it's the only reason I can live in white supremacy. It's the only reason that I can handle the incredulity of our present governmental structure and the reason I don't take an AR-15 and walk into some establishment and spray people with bullets is because every morning I get up, it's in him I live, it's in him I move, and it's in him I have my being. Others don't get to define us, and therefore others don't get to grade us. 
with whatever lenses they use, seemingly legit or not. There is but one indicator that I am a Christian. It is not my perfection. It is not the sanitation of my language. It's not because I don't have bad days. It's not because there are not days when I don't feel like talking to people. I don't feel like being around people. That does not degrade my Christianity. It just means I am a human. But if you want to know if I'm a Christian, then ask me who I believe in and I'll tell you I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son. And I'll know how much his teachings are impacting you by the corresponding ways that his teachings are motivating you to walk through the world and to show up in specific intended spaces. They were first called Christians because of a resounding repetition. But they were also called Christians first in Antioch because of what I want to label as a resistant response. A resistant response. Let the church say resistant response. Now you ask me resistant response to who, to what, to systems, to structures that divided and devalued people. Instead, it was to now be centered in Christ who values all people, who desires fellowship with all people. I'm getting in trouble these days preaching content like this because what I'm suggesting is that for us, To be devoted and committed to Christ is not to feed an ambition for African Americans to flip the oppressive script until we then become the oppressors. And those whose skin has not been darkened by nature's sun become the oppressed. The end result of God's intention for us is that all people would live in community under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That his kingdom as it is in heaven would be his kingdom here on the earth where there's no separation by gender or race or ethnicity or political affiliation so that it does not matter who strolls up in St. Paul. It does matter what the color of their skin is. It doesn't matter their economic attachment or depravity. It doesn't matter their sexual or gender intonations. It only matters that they believe in Jesus. And if they do, come on in because I can't distinguish between a wheat and a tear anyway. In fact, I don't have the quality to distinguish between wheat and tares. So my job is to till the garden and to water it and to nurture it. And when the gardener comes, he will do the separating. And I'm mighty afraid, St. Paul, that when the gardener comes, some of the people that you have labeled not Christians are going to be the ones he gathers up. And some of the people you label Christians are going to be the ones he tosses into the fire. And why do I say that? Because our definition have changed. We think a good Christian is the one who shouts the loudest, comes to church the most, pays the biggest tithes. And I know some devils who come to church every Sunday. 
sing on some of my best choirs and make the most noise. Just don't catch them after the benediction because if you catch them in the parking lot, they're prone to say some things to you that'll make you doubt what you just thought was an appropriate definition. Am I talking to somebody in here? And I also know some people who may not be able to quote a lot of scripture. They don't sing on any of the choir, serve on any of the ministries. They may not come to church with great regularity, but if I'm in the ICU and they hear that I'm in there, call them because they know how to get a prayer through. And you know how I know they know how to get a prayer through because they know that at the end of the day, the only difference in our lives is the presence of Jesus Christ. Christianity was not a designation of separatism. It wasn't a toxic distinction. It was a surrender to acceptance and inclusion. Being a Christian is not about pointing out differences. It is about believing that Christ creates commonalities that are too important to ignore. So then, the commonality among every one of us is we in here enjoying what we did not deserve. We are more alike in our salvation than we could ever be in our sin. We are each the recipient of a grace extended to us. Every one of us in this room is justified spiritually by the faith we have in Jesus Christ. Every one of us is gifted to do something that brings glory to God and expands his kingdom on the earth. Each one of us is born reflecting his image and living, extending his person. Every one of us was worth his sacrifice and every one of us is who he died for and that teaching is not only for us but it's extended through us to others and it makes others around us call us Christian so sit on down next to me in whatever pew I'm postured in and then don't worry about what I wear don't worry about the distinction of the quality of my clothing or the money that I have in the bike or the chariot that I have in the parking lot. Put your mask on, sit next to me, and let's sing when the choir sings. Let's say amen when the preacher preaches. Let's pray when we're offering prayers. Let's shout when somebody mentions his name. Let's worship together. I may go back to the ghetto. You may go back to the suburbs. I may go home single. You may go home married. It doesn't matter. We all go home as a child of God. Own the right, own the right definition, own the right definition, so you can out there in the culture present the right defense and control the conversations. Compassionately correct people in the culture that I'm a Christian because of what was taught me about Jesus that made me surrender my life to his invitation made me surrender to the call he extends to me for my life and that for us is the best way to live out the purposes of God in life it is by imitating Christ I'm, I'm done on one occasion Dr. McCorn Frederick the Great invited some notable people to his royal table and in that number were his top ranking generals 
One of them was a man by the name of Hans von Zieten. He declined the invitation because he wanted to partake in communion at his church on the same evening that the dinner party was being held. Now, y'all doing me like, like I encounter with my own congregation. I can tell I got to start the story all over again because you didn't miss the whole introduction. Giving honor to God to pastor saints and friends. I'm honored to be here. Open your Bibles, right? On one occasion, Frederick the Great invited some notable people to his table, wanted to have a dinner party. He invites his top-ranking generals to the party, but he gets a declination notice from one of his generals, Hans von Zieten, and the explanation that he gives for why he's not going to be in the company that night is because he's going to church. Why is he going to church? Because it's communion. Sometime later, at another banquet, Frederick and his guests present are being mocked. They are raising comedic fodder about him for his religious scruples and their cracking jokes about the night that Frederick the Great gave out an invitation for everybody to come over and sit down at his table. And they're laughing because Vaughn did not come because he was at communion. In great peril to his life, the officer stands to his feet in the middle of the dinner party and he says respectfully to the monarch, My Lord, I can't stand here while others are making fun of why I wasn't at your party the last time you had it. I wasn't there because there's a greater king than you. A king to whom I have sworn allegiance even unto death. You see, King, I am a Christian, and I cannot sit by quietly as the Lord's name is being dishonored and the Lord's character is being belittled. Well, you can imagine the guests at the dinner, everybody puts hand over mouth. You hear the breathing. Everybody's aghast. There is utter silence at the dinner party, and they start whispering, well, we know we ain't going to see Von Zeton anymore. He's going to be killed tonight. But much to their surprise, Frederick the Great stands up. He takes Zetan by the hand and he says, will you forgive me? And my request is going to always remain the same. You are always welcome at my table. And then he says to him, I promise that whenever you're in my presence, I'll never let anybody around you crack jokes about your church. I'm done, St. Paul. But maybe this culture will stop belittling our Christian faith and practice if you and I stop acting like we're scared to own our Christ. When folk ask you what you did over the weekend, how in the world are you going to tell them you washed the car and sat at your kid's game and you straightened your daughter's hair and you ironed your kid's clothes for school and nowhere in your response are you going to mention that you were down at St. Paul. And I know why, because you don't want folk at your job to know that you down here at church clapping your hand and participating with the choir and responding to the preacher and offering your ties and participating in ministry but do you not know that the respect that the culture owes us will only come when you stand and when people ask you what did you do this weekend are you talking about before church or after church
because whatever else I was doing, it was predicated upon my preparation for church. That's why I like my great-grandfather and great-grandmother's generation because on Friday, they started getting ready for church. On Saturday, you had to start quieting down for church. On Sunday, it was nothing but church. And Sunday night, you had to sit around and talk about what you heard while you were at church. And that meant you were about to have a blessed week because everything that was going to happen after Sunday's benediction to next Sunday's invocation was going to be predicated upon what God did while you were in church. Do I have the company here? Turn to tell somebody I ain't ashamed. Come on, talk to him. Tell him I ain't scared either. I am a Christian. And you know why I'm a Christian? Because I believe on a hill called Calvary. Between two thieves, they hung my Savior. And his blood began to drip until I'm not ashamed to say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And when somebody says, but Christianity is nothing more than the opiate of the people. It's just a drug to make you feel good and to keep your docile in the community. You ought to be the first one to stand up and say, now you need to stop talking like that. Because if you want to ask me what Christianity does for me, it put the spot back in my life squared my shoulders and made me not ashamed so that I don't have to ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God under salvation I'm going to my seat but I'm reminded of what God the Taylor said in a sermon when he talked about sitting in first class next to a white gentleman who you know people of that skin intonation they measure their worth by their job so he's engaged in conversation and the white gentleman says to him, uh, Mr. Taylor, would you look out the window of the plane and do you see that tower over there in the distance? Dr. Taylor said, sir, I do. He said, my company manufactured that tower. And do you see this runway upon which this plane is situated? Yes, sir, I do. Well, my company manufactured that runway. And do you see the terminal that's out there in the distance? Yes, I do, sir. Well, my company manufactured that terminal. Oh, and Mr. Taylor, who are you employed by? And God the Taylor said, well, I'm employed by God and son. You see the ground upon which that runway is situated? My company manufactured that. You see the tower upon which it is situated? My company manufactured that because the earth is the Lord's and the power thereof and those who dwell therein. I'll see y'all tomorrow night. I'm letting you out early tonight so you can get home in the rain. But why don't you look at somebody and tell them that's the only reason I'm excited. It's the only reason I shout. I'd have killed myself if it wasn't for the fact that I am a Christian. I would have slid into deep depression if it wasn't for the fact that I I am a Christian. I'd have hurt somebody if it wasn't for the fact that I am a Christian. And because I'm a Christian, I got joy that the world could not give. And joy that the world could not take away. Have I got any company here tonight? I'm trying to get y'all to help me. Throw your head back even while you're donning your mask and make it your public affirmation. I don't want to know your sorority. I don't want to know your fraternity. I don't want to know your economic status. I don't want to know your political affiliation. I don't care nothing about your dress size. I don't want to know what suit size you wear. I don't care anything about what car you drive. And I have 
and lack of desire about whether you own one home or whether you own two. I ain't even interested in where you vacation this summer. But I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? That he is the savior of this world. Because if you believe in Jesus, we got more commonality than you think. I talked to him this morning just like you did. He's been walking with me all day just like he's been walking with you. I'm enjoying his blessings just like you are. So what a fellowship and what a joy divine as we're leaning on God's everlasting arm. And I got a witness here tonight. Help me close. Throw your head back. Open your mouth and say it like you're not ashamed. Say I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm going to die a Christian because I am a Christian and I'm not ashamed of it. What's your name, son? I'm William Curtis and I am a Christian. Where do you work? I work for Mount Ararat, but I am a Christian. I'm Houston's father and Christine's husband, but I am... If you're a Christian, you won't mind putting those hands together. If you're a Christian, you don't mind opening your mouth. If you're a Christian, you don't mind making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Tell somebody, I am. social media and hearing the absurd skeptical comments about Christians I'm tired of supporting movie producers who use sanctuary and pulpit as comedic stages I'm tired of hearing lines and lyrics that poke fun at Christianity And I'm even more fatigued at the silence of Christians to not contend for the faith. Some stuff ain't funny. God asked me one time, you're a pastor. You got one of them, you got one of them churches where people get all emotional. And I said, yeah, it saves us from therapy. And I'm thinking to myself why he's saying it's saving me from giving you these hands. Unleashing this fury, right? I'm tired of the jokes. We support even people of our own color and kind 
who have made millions of dollars poking fun at the church. All the while, we are becoming the most unchristian nation in our history. Trying to root out Christianity from every vestige of American culture while we are silent until we get to church. Being a Christian is not docile. This is a militant movement. It's why scripture does not say that we're going to a picnic, take your basket and your food. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. Scripture says when all men persecuting you and saying all manner of evil against you falsely rejoice it's to be expected because that's what it means to be a Christian it means I believe in Jesus and therefore I live by a different ethic and a different belief it means I'm going to love you even if you're my enemy until you feel the fire Hands are lifted, heads are elevated, eyes are closed. I do this with my congregation. I offer it to you tonight because I think every sermon ought to have applicability for us. You ought to find the specific place where it meets you in your life. So I want you for a moment to think about the spaces in your life where it is critically important that you own your Christianity. And whatever hits your mind first, stay right there. And make a fresh covenant with God. That if you give me that space again, I will not be ashamed. I'll be ready to make a defense of the hope that lies within me. I'll contend for the faith. That ought to be your prayer tonight. Lord, I'm not ashamed. I'm so grateful to be a Christian. Because it means I have a belief in Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer and incline your ear unto us. And grant us our petitions, we pray. Jesus name and all of God's children said together amen come on turn look at somebody tell them I'm a Christian tis so sweet go ahead trust in Jesus go on Scott just to take him his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the tender Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, I.
trust him. No, 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 no. We need Christians tonight. How many of y'all trust him? How, how many of y'all, I ain't asking you to stand, just hold up your hand. How many of y'all trust him tonight? How many of y'all trust him? How many of y'all know him as Lord and Savior? All right. Reason I did that is because at this time, for those that are watching us online, if you don't know who he is in the pardon of your sin, I want to invite you to a relationship with the God who can change your life by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just want to lead you in a short prayer. We got folks in the house that have said, yeah, I trust him. That means you know him as Lord and Savior. Somebody might be watching us right now, may not know him as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you into a relationship with him. Just bow your heads. And for all of us that know him, we're going to repeat this prayer as a reminder of that covenant we made with him. Repeat after me. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ, for what he did for me that I could not do for myself. He gave his life. He shed his blood. He took on the penalty of my sins. And I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died on a cross. And I believe you raised him from the dead. And I believe that tonight he is the gift you sent to the world. I trust him now as Lord and Savior. Now God... Forgive me of my sins. Help me be the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're watching us online, if you're watching us, you can take a seat. If you're watching us online, you prayed that prayer, you meant that prayer in your head, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. If you're watching us on Facebook, on our church website, type in salvation in the chat. One of our digital ministers will reach out to you and let you know what the next steps are. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on the telephone line, email us at connect at spbcnc.org or call us at 334-5309, area code 704. Leave your name and your number. Somebody's going to get in touch with you before 5 o'clock tomorrow to let you know what the next steps are. There may be somebody in the house tonight who may trust Jesus, know Jesus, but guess what? You don't have a church home. You're disconnected from community. And, and can, I, can, I, can, I, can I, let me share this. That the enemy wants you to think you can do discipleship in isolation. And you can't. 
Let me say this even crazier. The enemy wants you to think that you can live for Jesus by yourself. And you can't. He wants you to be in community. He wants you to be in community with people who are serving the same Jesus. That's the church. I want to invite you to become a part of the St. Paul Church and uh, connect with us. So if you're in the house, if you don't have a church home, would you hold up your hand? I would love to be your pastor. These men and women would love to be your brothers and sisters. Deacons, you can come fill the aisles. Thank you. Deacons, you can come fill the aisles. Um, if you don't have a church home, we would love to have you as our brother and sister. Amen. If you don't have a church home, if you would, just hold up your hand tonight. If you're looking for a place to belong, to connect, hold up your hand. Amen. Amen. If you're watching us online, Facebook, Vimeo, you don't have a church home, we would love to have you. Just type in connect in the chat box of one of our social media digital ministers or influencers will let you know what the next steps are. Or if you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on telephone, call us at 704-334-5309 or email us at connect at sbbcnc.org and uh, leave your name and a number. We're going to get in touch with you. We've heard from heaven in a powerful way. Amen. We Let me say that again. We've heard from heaven in a powerful way. I, I, I want to, I believe, I, I, I have such a high view of scripture. I believe the Bible. Uh, I believe there's something to be said about sowing and reaping. And guess what? I'm not, I'm not asking or making or conjoling anybody to do this. But if that word bless you in a mighty way, I'm going to ask that um, uh, our finance committee will come down front. Uh, if you want to sow tonight into this word, into this preacher, you can bring an offering or you can do it online. If you do it online, just put it under offering. Just put it under offering. Um, and we appreciate it. So if you if you were blessed by that word, you can come and you can. As a matter of fact, I think I'm just going to give everything I got in my pocket. The clip is empty. Amen. If you feel led to give, you can come and give right now. You can come and give right now. You can come and give right now. If you want to do it online, give a five or either in the house or give online or digital. Just go on the offering, put it on the offering. Put it under offering. Put it under offering. Put it under offering. Put it under offering. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Listen, we're getting ready to get out of here. Getting ready to get out of here. Can you help me to celebrate this incredible male ensemble, how they have blessed us tonight? Let's give God praise for them. Can you help me celebrate our musicians? Let's give God praise for them. Ushers. Thank you all so much for your faithful service. Let's celebrate. Give God praise for them. I want to thank my deacons for being in the house. Let's celebrate them. To our media ministry, thank you for your incredible work. Let's give God praise for them. Our parking ministry, celebrate them. Amen. Give God praise for our medical team. I want to thank Minister Jeffrey Stevenson for leading and setting the tone and tune for worship. Thank you so much. To our musicians, to our musicians, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, man, for your gift. I want to thank my brother all the way from St. Louis who came in to um, give me something that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for. Um, 
And I appreciate your gift tonight, Mark. Thank you so much for blessing us with your gift of playing as far as the organ is concerned. We've been blessed in an incredible way. Getting ready to get out of here. The benediction will be given on tomorrow. So go ahead and stand. Thanks to those preachers that came from near and far to share in this worship experience. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, we will start at 7 o'clock. Both of them will preach. I don't know what order they're going to preach in yet. I'll let them fight over that. Amen. Um, but they will both be preaching tomorrow night. Uh, so tell your family and friends to join us either online or in the house uh, as far as that's concerned. It's been a great night. Been a great night. Been a great night. Been a great night. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Go and do what Christians do. Good night. God bless you. See you tomorrow.